Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. It's in the Scottish government's interest, not just to protect, obviously, public services, but also to show further divergence from the rest of the UK. It does show the sort of strain that the market is under this winter. The other factor playing into all this is Brexit. Neither political party will even contemplate relaxing EU migration. This is the elephant in the room, isn't it? You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Lizzie Burden. In a moment, we're going to be speaking to the former First Minister of Scotland, Alex Salmond, about Nicola Sturgeon's shock resignation. But while that might be good news for Keir Starmer, yesterday his day was possibly more dominated by Jeremy Corbyn's announcement that he's going to stand as an independent at the next election. Yeah, really... uh Rotten timing, I think, for Keir Starmer, who's hoping for some good publicity about his uh, his fight against anti-Semitism and his fight uh, against uh, Jeremy Corbyn. Be interesting to see what happens in Islington North at the next election. Corbyn is determined to stand. Of course, he has incredible name recognition. He's been an MP there since the early 1980s. He's pretty popular uh, locally. I think interesting to think as to whether uh, that the visuals of that fight will be negative or positive for Keir Starmer. I think perhaps uh, that, that uh, the visualisation of that fight against momentum in Islington North may well be something that Keir Starmer is relishing. I mean, you and he's even got a song. <laughs> but let's talk to another former party leader. It's Alex Salmond, former First Minister of Scotland and now leader of the Alaba Party. Alex Salmond, Nicola Sturgeon's resignation yesterday shocked the nation. She said it wasn't about trans rights. What's your reading of why she really quit? Well, I, I was uh, surprised, like everyone else, uh, and uh, it's really impossible to understand in political terms. I mean, in human terms, uh, you know, I feel for Nicola because, you know, I've been there, and resignation is always a difficult thing. But politically, it's a, a great puzzle because she was halfway through her independent strategy. I mean, she went to the Supreme Court, got a knock back about holding a referendum, said she was going to hold a de facto referendum in an election campaign and then resigned halfway through. So she's left the SNP not just looking for a leader, but also looking for a new independent strategy. In her speech yesterday, Nicola Sturgeon said that she's reached the conclusion that carrying on in the job, her carrying on in the job of First Minister is not the best thing for the cause of independence. Do you agree with her? Well, I, I, the difficulty is she's put the SNP into a cul-de-sac. In ter- I mean, the, the SNP over the years developed a strategy. That strategy was, was win elections in Scotland, hold a referendum from the Scottish Parliament and become an independent country. Uh, that's what uh, we did in 2014. We failed in the referendum, but of course it was open to try again democratically in the future. Uh, Nicola's abandoned that strategy because she couldn't get the... Uh, the UK government to concede it, and she got knocked back by the Supreme Court. And, and therefore, the difficulty with where she's left the SNP is they're going to have to find a new strategy because you've got a roadblock now to independence, and it's going to be the job of the, the new leader, uh, who will become First Minister, to find a way either through it or around it. But what about on the issue of personality? Do you think that Nicola Sturgeon has become a, a block to the cause of independence? Well, I would have preferred somebody to go ahead and 
fulfil the strategy she'd taken the the SNP down. But I mean, you know, she's made a decision, and now they, it will depend entirely on what the new person does. I mean, I mean, another difference, obviously, with 2014 is you know when I resigned, Nicholas Sturgeon was a shoe in to be first minister. Now there is no obvious candidate. There's no overwhelming favourite. There's a number of people who could step forward to do the job. There's a number of people in what you might call the old guard, and then there's a number of new uh, members of the, the Scots Parliament who have got leadership ambitions. Now, whoever that becomes leader, if they seize the opportunity to reunite the national movement, to bring in the other pro-independence parties, the non-party uh, campaign groups like uh, Common Wheel, and have an independence convention to bring everybody together, then this could give... Uh, the national movement new impetus. I mean, remember, the SNP is now the most powerful party in Scotland. The national movement is the most powerful force in Scottish politics. Uh, therefore, the, you know, it's all to play for. But, of course, the new leader is going to have to seize that opportunity and seize that moment. Mm, you talk about the new guard of the SNP in terms of a successor for Nicola Sturgeon. Would Kate Forbes, the finance secretary's openness about her faith, perhaps hold her back in Scottish politics? Well, I don't see why it should. I mean, I, I hopefully we've not reached a position where somebody's religion debars you from uh, uh, from being in, in, in senior politics. I mean, all you have to do in that circumstance, in my opinion, is you make issues uh, uh, such as gender recognition uh, a conscience issue. Uh, you, you don't try to dictate the conscience of other people. I mean, for example, when I introduced equal marriage in Scotland uh, as First Minister, it was a controversial issue at that time, less so now, of course, but it was controversial. But I didn't try to whip it through. Uh, I, I advocated it. I put it forward, and and I, I let the conscience of individual MSPs decide, and they decided in favour, and, and therefore we did the right thing. Uh, the difficulty in these issues comes when you try to impose your moral values or your conscience on other people as, as a party political matter, because the very last thing you should do and this has been one of the great misfortunes of recent weeks and months, is to make sensitive issues like gender recognition or, more accurately, the idea of self-identification, to make a, a political or a constitutional battle with Westminster. I mean, it's the very last issue, because of its sensitivity, that you should turn into that sort of direct party political or, con or, uh, or constitutional issue. You should treat it as it should be treated as a sensitive conscience issue. Would it be fair to say that the uh, uh, Labour Party was a product, at least in part, of big personality uh, differences within Scottish Parliament? Now that those personalities are changing, is it time for the independence movement, uh, the Scottish parties wanting independence to, to come together? Well, Alapa arose because of lack of action on independence on the part of, of Nicola Sturgeon's SNP government. Uh, I mean, Nicola Sturgeon, don't get me wrong, had many, many... Uh, Attributes. She's a great communicator, as we saw during the uh, the COVID uh, situation, where she was vastly superior to Boris Johnson. Nicola won elections for the SNP. That's really quite important <laughs> for a political leader. But in terms of advancing the cause of independence, that, you know that's not been her uh, her strong suit, which is unfortunate because the raison d'etre of the SNP and other independence parties is to get Scotland to independence. Now, if the new leader tries to reunite the national movement, through that independence convention idea, which once upon a time Nicola Sturgeon supported herself, uh, then that would be a route by which the, the various parties, political parties, and these other vital campaign groups, the yes groups supporting independence, the groups that arose during the 2014 referendum, 
uh, they can get together and pursue the independence campaign and not see the independence campaign as the same thing as running the government of Scotland. I mean, the reason for that is that governments come against problems. They come against bumps in the road. And you don't want these bumps in the road affecting a government impacting on the cause of Scottish independence. Again, I'll give you a for example. If you're fighting a campaign for Scottish independence right now, then the key issue is to explain to the million or so Scots who can't afford their heating bills that it's ridiculous that that's the situation in an energy-rich country like Scotland. And if Scotland had control of its own resources through independence, uh, then they would be able to afford their heating. Now, that's the sort of issue you conduct an independence campaign on, not a, a difficult sense of moral issue like gender uh, recognition. And that shows the importance of getting the independence campaign back on track, as well as the government of Scotland, through the SNP, uh, addressing the fundamental issues like the state, the health service, the education system, mm-hmm. while the independence campaign explains the benefits of self-determination and freedom for Scotland. I mean, in thinking about Nicola Sturgeon's legacy, she hasn't achieved independence. The attainment gaps as wide as ever. Drug deaths have soared. The budget deficit in Scotland is one of the biggest in the developed world. Apart from winning elections, can she actually claim to have been successful? Well, I, mean, I saw that kind of scorecard that you just recited in the Daily Telegraph. And you know, I have to say that you know, if, if you were a school child in Scotland uh, supporting Scottish independence, you wouldn't want the Daily Telegraph marking your report card. Uh, but certainly it's true that the, the, the I mean, if you go wind your way back to 2014, uh, then no one suggested that the Scottish government wasn't more competent than the Westminster government. Uh, now the best you can suggest is that the uh, government of Scotland is slightly less incompetent than the Westminster government. Uh, and therefore, keeping your eye on the ball of good governance is really, really important. On the issues that matter, health, education, the drugs policy, fulfilling commitments in, the, in your road-building programme, uh, not getting immersed in, in ill-thought-out ideas like bottle-return schemes, which are amazingly is emerging as a, a serious difficulty for the, for the Scottish government. So keep your eye on the ball and allow the independence campaign to be united, campaigning for the essential message of self-determination on the issues that really matter to most Scots. Alex, into your time... Will we look back at Nicola Sturgeon's resignation as a key step in, in Keir Starmer uh, getting into Downing Street, if that is the result? Well, I'll tell you what, I heard the Labour commentator this morning say that Nicola Sturgeon had handed Sir Keir Starmer the keys of number 10. Now, what I'd say is this. If you require somebody else to give you the keys of number 10, then you're likely never to get there. Political parties achieve things by their own merits, by their own me- by their own messaging, and by their own activities and campaigning. I mean, probably Keir Starmer's got is the, probably the least inspiring Labour leader of my lifetime. Uh, and uh, what you do, I mean, I heard when I resigned back in 2014, that was the finish of the SNP and the, and the national movement. I mean, six months later, the unionist parties who were saying it were swept off the boards of Scottish politics. If you rely on other parties to achieve your objectives, you'll likely not get there. Uh, so what happens in Scotland will depend entirely on the approach of the new First Minister, both to the good governance of Scotland and in reinvigorating the national movement. But remember, that will be done from a position where the SNP is the most powerful party in Scottish politics, 
and the national movement of Scotland is the most powerful force in Scotland. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Ewan Potts. This is your daily guide to the corridors of power. Now, yesterday's podcast was entirely focused, as you might expect, on the bombshell news of Nicola Sturgeon's resignation. But that wasn't the plan. We were going to talk about the Labour Party and the news that Keir Starmer is blocking Jeremy Corbyn from standing as a Labour candidate at the next election. Corbyn has vowed to contest the election nonetheless. This on the day that Britain's Equalities Watchdog said Labour had improved how it handles anti-Semitism complaints. Well, to discuss what this means for the Labour Party, we're joined by our UK politics editor, Stuart Biggs. Stuart, how much of a problem is Jeremy Corbyn for Keir Starmer? It's an interesting issue that Starmer's facing at the moment. I mean, 
standing standing as an independent in any seat is is usually a pretty hard ask uh, for any politician, given the the power of the sort of uh, parties have over electioneering and that kind of thing. But if if, if anyone was going to pull it off in North Islington, you'd think that Corbyn could do. And so the idea that you know Starmer can. Uh, end this issue once and for all by excluding Jeremy Corbyn from standing is is it looks a long shot or or it has the potential to be a a big risk and so Corbyn sort of wait you could see the you could see a scenario where Corbyn you know is is still in Parliament uh, still a thorn in in Labour's side uh, for the for the long term it's it's not an easy uh, issue for Starmer. Um, he wants to move on from the Corbyn era, but but he is a huge personality in the party, or a, a huge personality within the Labour movement still. Now, Stuart, I want to run pa- something past you, which might sound entirely cynical, but, but could it be argued that, that it suits Keir Starmer's interest to have a, a, a sort of ongoing fight with Jeremy Corbyn at the next election? So I'm just picturing the uh, the general election late, late next year, and... Uh, Jeremy Corbyn has been chucked out of the Labour Party and he's uh, he's fighting Keir Starmer in Islington North. There's going to be a lot of cameras in Islington, isn't there, following this fight. And it will be clear that Jeremy Corbyn is not Keir Starmer's man and he's not the Labour Party candidate. Isn't that quite useful for Keir, for Keir Starmer? And that appears to be part of the calculation. You know, on the, on the, you know Starmer is 20-plus uh, points ahead in the polls. If, if there was ever a time for this fight, you could argue that it's now. Uh also the fight would fit in with the um the narrative that Starmer is trying to put forward about his labor it's his labor it's the overhaul um you know political parties and political leaders often talk about or or you know moving on from previous um administrations or previous you know iterations of the of the, of their party and so Starmer over the last uh th- 3 years has has really been trying to push that and it's you know you know he's not he's not so far ahead in the polls for no reason you could argue that it's been a very successful move it's an it's part of the reason why every wednesday uh prime minister uh, rishi sunak tries to link um starmer with corbyn you know starmer obviously served in corbyn's shadow cabinet um but it doesn't seem to you know th- you could you could you could very much argue that Starmer is winning that argument because those accusations don't seem to be hurting him at all in the polls. So he's trying to reclaim the narrative, Keir Starmer. But how much did this announcement overshadow what he wanted to focus on yesterday, which was the party moving on from the anti-Semitism scandals? Yeah. So this. So so the 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 real risk here is that that the narrative that emerges is not one that. Is not one of moving on and a new a new beginning for Labour. What the, the the real risk is that in reigniting this fight, it becomes the old narrative of Labour, um, you know, the broad the broad political movement that it is has always struggled with the the different factions within that, and and that obviously is the risk is that it turns off voters that it you know the, the narrative once again moves back to the sort of you know labor fighting over policy um over personality and and not what starmer was trying to put forward as 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 the fresh beginning but you know obviously it's starmer will have taken the view that this had to happen at some point and and you could make the argument that 20 points ahead in the polls is is the perfect moment to do that 
Now, I want to tie together the two big stories of this week. Nicola Sturgeon's resignation. Surely that is a positive for the Labour Party. I want to get your views on that. There are 59 seats in Scotland. 58 of them are not held by the Labour Party. Uh, it would be very useful for Labour to win a number of those at the general election. How does Nicola Sturgeon's resignation change, change the dial? Certainly the mood music uh, coming out from, from yesterday's announcement was, was, was Labour feeling quite positive about this. I think you know, one thing we can say is that Nicola Sturgeon was a huge figure uh, in Scottish politics, in UK politics, and was a huge part of the reason why the SNP is, has dominated uh, for quite so long. Um, removing her as a figurehead, for the, uh, as a leader of the SNP, Obviously, Labour will be looking at that and thinking, you know, regardless of, you know, can they take seats, more seats than they would have? It, it does remove a big strength. Um, now, the question is, can they capitalise on that? What kind of message can they come up with that appeals to uh, SNP voters? And their calculation will be some of those voters might be less inclined to stick with the SNP now that, you know, this huge figurehead has 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 gone it's not a it's not a slam dunk though i mean at the end of the day labor's message is a unionist message in scotland and you know the the the, the fight is not that the, the the argument has not gone away it what has happened is that a huge political figure on one side has gone away well i wonder how much it matters whether keir starmer can clear up his position on trans rights given even though nicola sturgeon said that wasn't the reason she went it has been an issue it's it's going to be one of the issues, and and you know as as Nicola Sturgeon found it's a contentious issue, uh, and obviously Labour will will be under pressure to to clarify where they are or to or to come up with a with with a policy, um, and so. But I but I still think you know fundamentally, uh, SNP owes its dominance uh, in Scotland because of the the independence message and it's linked to that um, that will still be the main the fundamental uh, point for Labour to to come up with an argument that that works and to win wins SNP voters over. Okay Stuart Biggs our UK politics editor thanks for being with us. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Just a reminder of where Labour stood in 1997, the last time there was a Labour landslide. People were talking about another one this time. They won 56 seats in Scotland. There were rather more seats back then, but yeah, the vast majority of seats in Scotland were painted red. Well, let's fo- switch focus now and discuss plans to regulate buy now, pay later lenders in the UK. Under the plan, companies like Klarna, Clearplay and PayPal Holdings will be required to give consumers key information about their loans and to issue credit that is affordable. Well, let's speak now to our fintech reporter, Aisha Ghani. Aisha, thanks so much for coming to the uh, studio today. Uh, what are the changes uh, will come in under these rules? And, and, and what, it, what is, what's the goal for all, all of this? Right, absolutely. So on Tuesday, the UK government published draft proposals on regulations. So the aim is to improve consumer protection. The government said it would protect 10 million people. And what it would mean is that consumer complaints would be reviewed by the financial ombudsman, but it also means that providers will have to abide by rules on, say, financial advertising, and they have to give consumers more information about their loans and 
for example, issue credit that is affordable. So essentially, it's about empowering the Financial Conduct Authority to do something about it. I've been speaking to ministers like the Investment Minister, Dominic Johnson, uh, also Andrew Griffiths about the Edinburgh reforms. They all tell me that the UK wants to be a bigger fintech hub, but will stricter rules like this hold that dream back? I mean, that's a great question um, in terms of sort of the UK's aspiration to be this fintech hub. So every fintech I speak to say that they find the UK attractive because of its mature regulation. It's tried, it's tested, there's conversation. You know, companies want a UK license, so it's pretty good to be legit. But the thing is, buy now, pay later has ballooned. The global market is expected to grow to 600 billion by 2026. So it's a very fast moving market. You're absolutely right there. You know, Apple has entered. Uh, you and I can buy a coffee on buy now, pay later, takeaway, even Beyonce tickets. The question is, has the FCA got the resources to deal with it? Aisha, these regulations have been a long time coming, haven't they? As you say, it is it is an enormous market. Why do you think there's there's been a delay? Why has the government been you know, not keen to, to, to get on with this? Well, privately, the companies I speak to have been baffled at why it's taken so long and to get feedback, feedback on some of their submissions. So I'll give you a bit of a recap. It was launched in 2020. It was the Woolard Review. And uh, they, they sought to get submissions from the likes of Klarna um, as part of this consultation, as well as consumer rights groups and, and debt charities. Then last year, the government announced its intention to regulate buy now, pay later. And um, the draft proposal that we saw this week, the government was quite clear and open and said that they had lacked sufficient understanding of the merchant provided credit market. Mm. And they very much said that they wanted to ensure the regulation was proportionate and didn't restrict access to useful financial products. And also um, they wanted additional insight from stakeholders. So it took a bit longer and, Mm. you know, just ensuring that the market was innovative was also a key part to this and just making sure that there was balances in place. Aisha Ghani, our fintech reporter, thanks for being with us in the studio. Well, just before we go, a couple of other key things we're watching out for today. The Communication Workers Union is to announce the results of its latest ballot of Royal Mail workers. That's going to come later this afternoon. That would give the union a mandate for six more months of walkouts. Royal Mail staff have already held 18 days of strikes and Workers at the British Museum also on strike in London today. Uh, Bad news if you're trying to take the kids out uh, for a weekend. (laughs) Hard to keep up on your culture there. That's it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe and give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by James Walcock and John Wasserman was on sound. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Lizzie Burden. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.